Well, hey, we are wrapping up our series called A New Beginning today. Uh, we've been in this for the past four weeks. This is week five, and so it's been the, the, the entire start of 2022 that we've been in this series. If you've missed that, you want to re, you know, revisit some of that, hopecommunityonline.org is the place to go. You can find the messages tab, and you can find all these messages there. Uh, but today, we're wrapping things up by talking about um, the idea of vision. Like, what is a vision for life that will propel my life forward, that will propel my faith forward, that will uh, give me that new beginning or that fresh start that I'm looking for? What is a vision for that? Now, I recognize uh, that vision can be like, uh, it's a bit of a buzzword. It's one of those words that get tossed out there, but it's like, what does it actually mean? Um, you know, I think the best definition that, that, that I've heard for it, what we're going to kind of work off of today, is that vision is an idea of a preferred future. Uh, vision is, uh, it's what could and should be. What could and should be. It's not just, uh, it's not just what could be. It's not just a dream for the future, but it's also what should be, like, there is a burden for it. Like, it has to be this way. It's what could and should be, a better picture of tomorrow. Now, if you're like a Christian or a follower of Jesus, that kind of a vision for our future, of what could and should be, of, of what tomorrow should look like, um, that is found at the intersection of our lives and God's kingdom. The intersection of our lives, so it's like who I am and what I bring to the table, my time, my talent, my treasure, my, like all of who I am, my life, who God has made me to be, and God's kingdom. Like what is he up to in the world? Where those things come together, like that is where I locate what is the vision for my future? What is the thing that moves me forward, propels my life, and propels my faith? And there's this uh, incredible thing the Apostle Paul says. He's writing to the church in, in Ephesus, first century, followers of Jesus, trying to figure out what this looks like. Uh, he writes the church in Ephesus. We have that as a letter to Ephesians. He says this in Ephesians 2, starting in uh, verse 8. He says, you are saved by grace. It's through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is God's gift. It's not from works so that no one can boast. And so he, he kind of establishes this idea of, hey, we are saved. Our sins are forgiven. We, we're made new, right? This idea of we're, a, we're brand new people. Like the, the old us is gone. When you put your faith in Jesus, you don't just get cleaned up a little bit. You have the opportunity for a fresh start. You are a new creation. You are welcomed into his kingdom. Your sins are forgiven. Um, you are empowered by his spirit. All of these beautiful things. He says, but that is, that's by grace. It's a, it's a gift. Like we don't deserve it. We don't work for it. It's a gift that comes through faith. Simply by saying, Jesus, I trust you. I trust that you are who you say you are, that, you that you're the perfect son of God. You lived, you died on the cross, you rose from the grave, and I am leaning the weight of my life on that. He says it's by, by faith that you trust in that gift that you're saved. It's not from works. It's nothing that we do. We do not earn it. But now he's about to say, even though we're not saved by works, we are saved for some works. There are some things that we are to do uh, if you're a follower of Jesus um, that, that kind of mark out our lives. So verse 10, he goes on to say that we are his, talking about God, like we are his workmanship. And uh, some, some translations may say masterpiece, or, or we are his, uh, like his, 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 piece of, his, his piece of art, his artwork. We are his poetic expression. We are his masterpiece, his workmanship, and we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. Like now that you've been created, got this new creation, you're a new person in Jesus, there are good works for you to do. Good works which God he prepared ahead of time for us to do. So like, man, uh, before like, we were even alive, before the foundations of the earth, God's like, hey, when you become my follower, I've got some good things for you to do. There are some good works for you to do. There are some kingdom kind of works 
for you to do. There is a kingdom vision for your life and for mine. You are his masterpiece. It's beautiful. It's incredible. And there are good works for you to do. The intersection of who you are, your masterpiece, he's made, made you this way, um, and God's kingdom, there are good works for you to do. And so that kind of lies in front of us. That lies before us. But the question is, are we going to walk in that? Are we going to embrace that? Um, are we going to live that out? Because, uh, I mean, it's there. It's what we're called to. But really, the choice is ours whether we say, yeah, I want to live out that vision for my life. I, I want to walk in those good works and be that person that God has called me to be. And so uh, I want to look at that together this morning, um, kind of how we do that and how we walk in that, how we embrace that. And so to do that, we are going to look at uh, what is known as the, uh, the conversion of, of Saul or Paul. Uh, so the Apostle Paul, um, he wasn't always a follower of Jesus. Uh, in fact, he was quite the opposite. He hated Christians, wanted to wipe out the church, like couldn't stand them. Um, and he has this crazy conversion experience uh, where he becomes a follower of Jesus. So we're going to look at that. Um, but when we're first introduced to Paul, he goes by Saul, Saul of Tarsus. That's where he's from. Uh, and he is a, a Jewish religious leader. He's a Pharisee. He's a teacher of the law, an expert in the law. He is obsessed with keeping the law, like the, the Old Testament law, the Old Covenant, uh, how the nation of Israel was uh, meant to um, interact with God and themselves and their neighbors. Like he was obsessed with keeping the law and making sure other people did that as well. Um, and that, that was what Paul was all about. And he saw, man, like the church, uh, the Jesus movement as, as a threat to that, right? Like to him, the, 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 the Jesus movement, what was known at that time as just the way, they weren't called Christians yet, it was just the way, the way of Jesus, that it, he, he saw it as like blasphemous. It was an affront. It was, uh, it, it was an infection. It was, it was something that, that needed to be eradicated from uh, his, his Jewish faith, like that it was poisoning it. He hated the church. He hated Christians. And so he wants to wipe them all out. In fact, we're first introduced to, to, um, to Saul, who later becomes Paul, in Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 8, um, what had just happened in Acts 7, there was a disciple of Jesus named Stephen, and he is proclaiming the message of Jesus to the Jewish people, uh, and some of the Jewish leaders, they don't like that so much, and so they pick up, they stone him. They pick up rocks and throw rocks at him till he dies. Turn the page to Acts chapter 8, and we read that Saul is there approving of this. And so this act, this murder of, of a disciple of Jesus for telling people about Jesus, Paul gives that, or Saul at the time, gives that his stamp of approval and says, this is it. This is what we need to do. And from there we read that persecution breaks out against the church um, and that Saul is a part of that. That he goes from house to house, dragging out men and women, followers of Jesus, dragging them off to prison, just wreaking havoc on the church. And so, like, uh, we, we have this picture of Saul. It's like, okay, this is like, he's not a good dude, okay? Like, this is not someone who you're like, yeah, I want to be like Saul. Uh, but then he has this incredible conversion experience. And there's something that happens within his story. It's a pretty famous story. There's something that we often overlook. And, and that thing that we overlook, I think, gives us some clarity as to what it looks like to embrace a kingdom vision for our lives. And so let's just read through this. It's going to be Acts chapter 9, um, verses 1 through 22, if you want to follow along uh, in a Bible or in a separate tab or on a, a mobile device, whatever, or it's going to be here on my screen as well. So Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 1, 
we read that Saul was still breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, right? So this is a kind of continuation of what I was just talking about, the chapter before where he's dragging people away from their homes and, and, and approving of their deaths. And so he's still doing that, still going strong, breathing out threats and murder against the disciples. And he went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any men or women who belonged to the way, again, they weren't called Christians yet, they were just followers of the way or disciples of Jesus. If he found anyone who belonged to the way, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So at this point, uh, Saul, has, he's, he's just staying local, right? He's, he's in the city, the region of Jerusalem, and he's persecuting the, the church there. But man, he's, he's passionate. He is zealous for this. He's like fired up. He's like, no, it's not enough that I just, just you know, put an end to this here. I need to put an end to it everywhere. So he goes to the chief priest uh, who is like over uh, the Jewish religious system. He's the one who had the authority to tell Paul that he could go. And he says, let me go to other areas as well. Let me go up to Damascus and let me show them up there too that they need to cut this stuff out. And and I'm going to bring them back here. We'll throw them in prison. And so that's what he proceeds to do. Verse three says, as he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And and Saul responds by asking, who are you, Lord? And I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting, he replied. But get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the sound, but seeing no one. And so Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And so they took him uh, by the hand and led him into Damascus, and he was unable to see for three days, and he did not eat or drink. And so there's this dramatic conversion experience with, with Saul. Uh, so much so, actually, that we get a lot of like phrases from this in our English language. You know, we say things like blinded by the light. Uh, we say things like get knocked off your horse or having a Damascus road experience. Like This is all going back to this encounter because it was so significant, and it's just this like crazy thing that happens. Um, and so, but this is really just like the first part of Saul's conversion. Um, you know, he's kind of left blind and confused and wondering what's going on. It's what we see in the second part. In the second part, oftentimes I feel like we just brush over, but it's what we see in the second part that gives us such a, a powerful picture of what it looks like to embrace a kingdom kind of vision for our lives. Uh, and, and the person that models that for us actually isn't, isn't Saul. It's a man by the name of Ananias. So let's pick up uh, the story and continue in verse 10. It says, There was a disciple uh, in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, well, here I am, Lord, he replied. Uh, Get up and go to the street called Straight, the Lord said to him, to the house of Judas, and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, since he is praying there. In a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias coming in and placing his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. Now, watch how Ananias responds. This is, this is brilliant. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard from many people about this man and how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, right? Like, hey, he's back in Jerusalem. He's throwing people in prison. He approved of Stephen getting stoned to death. I've heard about this guy, but Ananias isn't done. Next verse, he says, and he has the authority here from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. Hey, not only is he 
persecuting people, you know, like in, in Jerusalem, but now he's on his way here and he's about to do the same thing. He's about to lay the Saul of Tarsus smack down on your people here in Damascus of who, uh, who uh, of which, by the way, I am one of them. <laughs> he's on his way here. I don't want to go hang out with him. What are you talking about? And God's response to Ananias is this. The Lord said to him, go, for this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to the Gentiles, to kings and to Israelites, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. God tells Ananias, listen, hey, Saul is, he is my chosen instrument. I'm going to use him to take this gospel message, to take the good news of Jesus all around the world, and he's going to go through incredible hardship and suffering because of that. We, we kind of come to the first thing in this moment that I want us to, to realize when it comes to, okay, if I want to embrace a kingdom vision for my life, if I want my, to embrace the, the, the intersection of my life, God's kingdom, of what could and should be for the future, I want to embrace a kingdom for, vision for my life, uh, first thing we need, we need to realize is it doesn't always make sense. It doesn't always feel safe. It isn't comfortable. It isn't convenient. Uh, it, it, oftentimes, it might rub up against, or simply not even just rub up against, it might just punch in the face the plans that we had for our day or the plans that we have uh, for our life. Like when we embrace a kingdom vision, it's like, man, this doesn't make sense. This isn't comfortable. This isn't safe. This isn't what I was expecting. I mean, put yourself in Ananias' shoes, uh, where it's like, okay, you're going to use Saul of Tarsus to spread, like, to, to, to spread the news of Jesus? That doesn't make sense. This is the guy who's done more damage than anyone else to wipe out the church. How is it that you're now going to use him? It doesn't make sense. Not only that, but it wouldn't be comfortable. It wouldn't be safe. I mean, I mean if, if I'm Ananias, I mean, I'm not. He's probably doing much, he would probably do, would do much better than I did in that situation. For my first thought would be, now what if I show up and I go pray for Saul and he wakes up, his eyes are open, he sees me and he's just like, Great, Damascus is awesome. I don't even have to go to the, the Christian's house to persecute him. They come to me. Come on, Ananias, we're going to jail. Like, I mean, they're, they're, like the risk and the level of uncomfort, the level of just disregard for, my, for his own safety, like it is insane. But to embrace a kingdom vision for our lives often requires that. It doesn't make sense. It's not safe. Uh, it's not comfortable. You know, it's not, it doesn't make sense and it may not be safe to love an enemy someone who wishes us harm, but that's what God calls us to. It doesn't make sense. It may not feel comfortable. It may require a lot of sacrifice to give, like financially. When God impresses that on you, like, I think I'm supposed to help this person out or give to this organization or give to this thing. It's like, it doesn't make sense. It's not comfortable. It may not be comfortable, and for sure, it probably won't be comfortable, to share your faith with someone else. It doesn't make sense. It might not be comfortable to serve in a ministry or to sponsor a child, or to go on a mission trip. Like, the, 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 the thoughts that flood our mind in those situations are, I'm not prepared for this. I'm not equipped for this. I'm not qualified for this. I don't know enough to do this. I'm not ready for this. I don't have time for this. This doesn't make sense. God, are you sure this is what you want me to do? There are times many times when God asks us to do something, whether that's just through an impression uh, that he lays on our hearts or through reading scripture or through prayer or through the words of another person, there are times when it's like, I feel like God is calling me to do something and it makes no sense whatsoever and it is not comfortable. And Ananias surely feels this way in this moment. But the, the question that, that we got to wrestle with isn't, is it safe? Is it comfortable? Is it convenient? Uh, can, I, can I rationalize it in my mind? The question that, that we have to wrestle with is, is this God? 
is this something that he's calling me to? Is this something that he's moving me towards? Is this a part of the vision, of his vision for my life, for my future? Vision doesn't always make sense, and it doesn't feel comfortable, but embracing a kingdom vision often is uncomfortable and risky. The, the account continues with Ananias' uh, response. Uh, it says that Ananias went. It doesn't make sense. God, are you sure you want me to do I've heard about this guy. But he goes anyway. Ananias went and entered the house. He placed his hands on him and said, Brother Saul. He calls him brother. This is crazy. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road you were traveling, has sent me to you that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Second thing I, I, we need to understand about <laughs> embracing a kingdom kind of vision is that it's fulfilled by obedience. Ananias went. And not only does he go, um, he doesn't just go out of obligation. He goes from a posture of trust, a posture of faith. He calls Saul his brother. He, he fully trusts what God is saying here. He says, God, you're calling me to go, and you're saying that you're going you're to choose Saul. Okay, I trust that. So I will go, and I will embrace. I will call Saul, who just yesterday would have preferred me to be dead. I will now call him brother and welcome him into the family, into the church. There's this radical kind of obedience. Vision is made complete by obedience. It's not just seeing what could be and seeing what should be, but it's acting on that. It's not just saying, okay, I wish the future was like that, but it's saying I will be a part of making it like that. This right here is the difference between someone who is just like a dreamer versus someone who's pursuing a vision. Being a dreamer costs you nothing, right? It's like, oh, well, being a dreamer sounds like this. Well, wouldn't, I mean, it would be great if... Well, I mean, it would be great if my, if my marriage was better. It would be great if, if I had a better relationship with my kids. I mean, it would be great if my finances looked like this. It wouldn't it be awesome if, if, if our community was this or that? Wouldn't it be great? It would be I mean, amazing. I, I wish our world was this way. I wish people treated people that way. Like, oh, man, wouldn't it be awesome if in the future things looked like this? That's just a dream. Vision moves further and says, it does need to be this way. I'm going to be a part of making it this way. I'm going to live my life. I'm going to, I'm going to act in every moment uh, in such a way that moves me in that direction. Vision is made complete by obedience, and it's an obedience with Ananias and with us that is born out of trust. There's a relational trust that the obedience, because like this isn't in the face of, this could cost me something. This is uncomfortable. This is, doesn't feel safe. This is inconvenient. And yet I will act in obedience, not out of obligation, but out of trust. It's, it's Jesus, I trust who you are. I trust that you are good. I trust that you have what's best for the world and you have what's best for me in, in mind. And so even, even when it doesn't make sense, even when it's difficult, even when I don't want to, I trust you. Kingdom vision requires and is made complete by obedience. The final section is kind of how this interaction uh, wraps up. Verse 18 says, at once, so after Ananias has prayed, uh, at once something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight and he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength, and he, he stayed there with the disciples in Damascus for some time. And all who heard him were astounded. And they said, isn't this the man in Jerusalem who was causing havoc for those who called, them, who called on this name and came here for the purpose of taking them as prisoners to the chief priests? But Saul grew stronger, and he kept confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. The people, they see Saul, and they're like, wait a second. 
This is the guy that was trying to destroy the church. This is the guy who was laughing at the whole Jesus thing. This is the guy who came here to take us all back to prison. And now he's proclaiming the message that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one they've been waiting for. And now he's, he's confounding. I love that word. He's like, he's confounding the Jews. He's like, they're like, what, what, what are you talking about? How is this possible? And he's proving to them that Jesus is the Messiah. He's opening up their scriptures, what we would call the Old Testament, and going, guys, don't you see it was here the whole time? He is the one we've been waiting for. He is the one who will set things right. He is the things that, he is the one that, we, that, that has been promised. He's proving that Jesus is the Messiah. The final thing that, that I want us to embrace or recognize about seeing a kingdom vision for our lives is that kingdom vision always returns more than it costs. There is a cost involved, right? That's the first thing we talked about. It's uncomfortable. It's inconvenient. There's a risk. Uh, it doesn't make sense. There's a cost involved, but there is always a harvest. There's a yield. There's a return. And the return is always greater than the cost. Return is greater than the cost. The return so often isn't just, it's not, it may not be in the moment, but it's long-term. The return is, is exponential. The return is generational. The return has ripple effects. And that's what happened with the Apostle Paul. Saul, become, Saul ends up becoming the Apostle Paul. He becomes like this amazing communicator of the gospel, of the message of Jesus, and goes from trying to destroy the church to planting churches all around um, what we would call like the Mediterranean Rim that at that time, the, the, the area of the Roman Empire that he was in. He's responsible then for writing all of these letters that, that now make up about half of what we call the New Testament. Uh, honestly, the Apostle Paul is the reason why, if you're a follower of Jesus today, uh, a lot of that is due to the Apostle Paul uh, because of his proclaiming and taking the message of Jesus out and how it spread, because of his writing these letters and us having them collected into what we call the New Testament. The Apostle Paul is, is responsible for shaping um, millions of followers of Jesus throughout history. It's often been said that in the first century and at the start of Christianity, there is no one outside of Jesus, there is no one more responsible for the spread of the Christian message and how that shaped the Roman world and eventually Western civilization than the Apostle Paul. He had, it, there was this huge implication. It's an incredible story of redemption, how God used him, but what we often miss is the role that Ananias played in that. He's kind of in the background. It doesn't seem like you know, the spotlight's not on him. We don't ever hear from him again. But Ananias embraced what God had for him. He embraced this vision, this kingdom kind of vision. He stepped out and obeyed, even though it cost him something, even though he was afraid, even though it didn't make sense, he took the risk to trust and obey. And man, I guarantee you at that time, Ananias had no idea um, what the implications of that would be, to embrace that kind of vision. Uh, but but it ended up being a huge blessing that had generational implications, that had, that's had implications that have rippled throughout history for 2,000 years. But pursuing the vision cost him something, but it yielded a return. And when we do the same thing, when we pursue what God has for us in our lives, when we pursue a vision that is wrapped up in his kingdom and what he is doing in the world, yeah, there'll be a cost involved with that, but the return is always worth it. Kingdom vision. It doesn't make sense. It's not safe. It requires obedience, but the return is worth it. The return is worth it. And so a vision that will propel your life forward, that will propel your faith forward, that will give you a new beginning, that kind of a vision is found at the intersection of your life and God's kingdom. Your life and God's kingdom, who you are and what's going on in your life and your sphere of influence and your family, like everything that you bring to the table and what God is up to in the world, you bring those two things together and you will find vision for your 
life. And listen, there's a lot of different ways that you can do that. There's a lot of different ways you can be a part of what God is doing in the world, from the small like day-to-day things that are just how you live your life and how you exist in the world, to maybe things like serving in your community, lots of ways you can be a part of what God is doing in the world. But I want to highlight as we wrap up today um, just one area that I think is huge, and that is serving in your local church. Uh, whether that's Hope Community, if you call Hope Community your church home, or maybe you have a different church, wherever it is, that serving in your local church is a way that you embrace God's uh, kingdom kind of vision. Because if you want a, a vision that will propel your life and faith forward, that will be a part of what God is doing in the world, man, God uses the church for that. Like the church is like the vehicle through which God operates in the world. Uh, the church is, is, is the vehicle through which the, the message of Jesus is proclaimed and lived out and communicated in the world. It, it's through the church that people hear a message of hope and healing and forgiveness and freedom. It's through, it's through the working of the church that people's relationships are restored, that addictions are broken, that people find healing. Where, it's through the church where needs are met, people's physical needs are met, uh, emotional, relational, spiritual, mental needs, like all of these things. God shows up and works in powerful ways through his church. That when followers of Jesus come together and say, like, we, we are the church and we are serving one another, we are serving the world around us. And so I would encourage you, if you're not already, serve somewhere in your church. Find a place where you can serve, whether it's a one-time thing for special events and service projects or that's getting in a weekly or monthly kind of rotation in an area because when you serve, when you serve, you're not just filling up space you're, you're not just checking a box. You're not just filling a role. You are actually a part of what God is doing in the world. You are part of what he is doing in people's lives. When, when, a, when, when you're serving like in kids and a kid shows up and, 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 and man, maybe, maybe things are rough for them and they have, maybe they had a hard week or they have a hard life and, and it's, it's like whether it's at home or at school or the world around them, they feel like they have no worth, they have no value, nobody loves them, and they show up here and they hear, hey, God loves you, and so do I. And they hear that over and over and over again. And one day it clicks. And they realize that no matter what's going on in life, God loves them. And there's people. God's people love them as well. And it changes everything for them, and you realize that you were a part of that. And you, 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 are, you are participating in what God is doing in the world. When you're serving in like a guest service role, you're opening doors, you're, ha- you're handing out coffee, you're answering questions, you're smiling face. Like you're not just taking up space, you're, you're creating a welcoming environment where people can recognize you come in here with whoever you are and whatever you are and you're welcome here and God will meet you here. You're a part of helping people's walls come down. When, when, you, when you serve in something behind the scenes that, that creates that welcoming environment and that loving kind of environment, you set uh, people up for an encounter with God. Listen, when you are serving in the church, you're not just filling a role. You are a part of what God is doing, and he works through you. Lives are changed, and you get to be a part of it. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, there is nothing like that. When you experience God working through you, you don't get over it. You don't get over it. You don't forget it. I mean, like, you, hey, I recognize this. You forget the things that I say. That's okay. Like, we forget the messages we hear. We forget what we learned in a Bible study. We forget how we felt during the, you know, worship that one week. But you don't ever forget God working through you. 
Like when, when someone's life is changed, when they go from like just feeling like they had nothing to live for, completely hopeless, to, to then all of a sudden they're transformed and they have hope and a future and purpose. And like you see that, that light bulb go on for them and the power of God working in their life and recognizing that, that yeah, it was God that did it, but he used you, that changes you forever. That grows your, who you are as a person. Man, that grows your faith and that gives you a vision for life of like, this is what I'm here to do. Man, I, I am here to see a picture of what could and should be. I'm here to see a picture of God's kingdom coming and, and figuring out how my life fits in that. That gives you a vision for life. It gives you the, the direction and the, uh, that you need to go in, that new beginning that you are looking for. So again, there's a lot of different areas in life that you can do that in, but I would highly, highly encourage you, man, to, to, to get involved, serve in your church. Uh, if Hope Community is your church, I would love for you to go to hopecommunityonline.org right now. Link's in the description of this video. Click on the Next Steps Launcher. Click on uh, Volunteer, and it's going to take you to a form. You're going to fill out some stuff. It's basically just a get-to-know-you. Uh, you're not committing to anything at that point. Uh, it's basically just a way for, for us to start the process, have a conversation, figure out what's a good fit for you um, and, and where God is moving you to work. I would encourage you to do that. So here's the question. What is God calling you to do? What is he calling you to do? in your life, in your community, in your church? What is he calling you to do? Where is it that your life meets his kingdom? I want to encourage you to walk in that, to embrace that, to live that. It won't feel comfortable. It may not, it may, there may be some risk involved. It may not make sense. It may be something that you want to push back against. It will require more than just, uh, thinking it's a nice idea, it will require some obedience and some trusting of Jesus, but it will be worth it. I guarantee it. It will be worth it. God will do something in you and, the, and in the lives of the people around you, and that will be a vision for life that will propel you forward in the years to come.